All right. So the New Testament book of Acts began with a call for followers of Jesus to wait. To wait for a gift. Jesus had promised that when he left the earth to go to his Father in heaven, that he would then send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is given to the followers of Jesus as a helper to help them walk through life in a way that, that is Christ-like. So now that the Spirit has come in the book of Acts, we begin to see the church of Jesus heartened in various ways. And Jesus' church is now beginning to look very much like Jesus. And this isn't surprising because last week we read of how they were devoted to Jesus. They, were, they, they had devoted themselves to Jesus. So we're finding the leaders of the early church that they were committed to preaching Jesus over and over and over. That's what they were explicit about preaching. And, and Jesus' people were gathering together regularly and doing that in Jesus' name, gathering around Jesus. The early church ate in such a way to remember Jesus' sacrifice for them. And they prayed to Jesus as well. And so with all of this devoting themselves to Jesus, it's not a surprise that we find them being generous like Jesus as well. They were selling their valuables, those things that they held dear. They were letting go of those things so that others who were in need could be cared for. And so what we're finding in the early church, in the book of Acts, is that they've come to the understanding that Jesus' church is the hope of the world. They're, they're working this out, but they are coming to this understanding that Jesus' church is the hope of the world. And so they're prioritizing Jesus' church in all of life. And what we're finding going on here in the early parts of Acts is there's this blending in these people between the spiritual and the physical parts of their lives. It's not either or, but the spiritual and the physical are beginning to be blended. They're crossing over, and they are seeing how Jesus is relevant, not just for an hour on Sunday morning, but how Jesus is relevant in all of life. Every part of it. And it's true for us. The association between the physical and spiritual is vital for us to understand as well. It just wasn't them, it's us as well. So we're going to spend some time looking at this intersection today, the physical and the spiritual. So quick primer here as we get going. We come back to this every so often. We live in a physical world that is filled with experiences and ideas that are continually pointing to something and someone greater. Now, we, we can tend to think that a flat tire is nothing more than annoying. And, and flat tires can be annoying, but there's a lot more that can be found within a flat tire. It's a reminder of the brokenness of this world. And we have lots of examples, experiences that we encounter throughout our, our lives that remind us of the brokenness of this world. It's a, call, a, a flat tire is a call for us to hope in something much more robust than just having tires that stay filled with air, right? Or having a car that works all of the time. At times we may be amazed by a sunrise, 
but we often don't even think about the sun rising each day, right? Like this is a scientific thing. It's mechanical. It just it comes up and it goes down, and we don't give a lot of thought to things like that. But the rising sun reminds us every single day, over and over, of how Jesus came into this world. He is the light of the world, and he drives out darkness. And we get an example of this in the sky every single day. This world is full of physical examples that point to greater spiritual realities. And what I want to be crystal clear on is that spiritual realities are much more important. Spiritual realities are much more important than the physical things that we encounter day in and day out. And the reason for that is because physical realities change all the time. Right? How many times in your life have you had a favorite meal? Right? Or, or you really like a meal, but you eat it enough and you get tired of that. Right? And you move on to something else. I played college basketball. Okay? When I played college basketball, I was lifting weights. Right? I was consuming all this food over and over and over. And when I stopped, almost like in the blink of an eye, I lost 45 pounds. When I stopped lifting weights, stopped, stopped consuming all this food. Right? Like these physical realities, they just change over and over for us. They are not sturdy. And so what we find, what we're going to find this morning in the verses we're looking at, but in all of life, is that we are being pushed to something better. And that better thing is Jesus. Okay, let's read Acts 3. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. you get a device, you can swipe there. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Acts 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those who were entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story. I pray that in it we would see the good news of Jesus. I pray that you would encourage our hearts and that you would also challenge our hearts in these moments together. And would you help us to be able to see how the physical realities that are all around us, this existence that that we inhabit day after day, that it's pointing us to something much better, much greater. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Okay, so I want to begin by looking at this man's physical reality and how his physical reality is then pointing us as readers today to greater spiritual truths. So let's begin by making just a couple of observations, and then we're going to delve into these two observations more deeply. So first of all, we read this man has been lame from birth, okay, his whole life. This has been his existence. We find that he's unable to walk anywhere by himself. In fact, in order for him to even beg for help, he must be carried to that location. So we can say, just first blush right away, this man is in need of immense amounts of help. That is his life. That is his reality. Okay, he's lame from birth. Secondly, this man is laid daily at the gate of the temple. So the temple was at the center of religious life, and we could even say life, within Israel. Okay? This is where people would gather. This is where they would come for big celebrations. This was the hub of life in Israel. And so there would be many people passing by him each and every day. This is very strategic, right? That he is at that spot. Also, there is an obligation for people within the Jewish faith to give him things. It's talked about as alms here, right? So think essentially like food or money. That that's what he's asking for, and that is what he is oftentimes receiving. Okay, so within the Jewish religion, there was this obligation for people to give alms to others who were in need. Okay, so these are the two things that I really want to look at this morning. So let's first take a look at the fact that this man was lame from birth. Okay, so from a purely physical standpoint, some may say, man, he really drew the short end of a stick. Bad luck for this guy, right? But in the unspoken places of our hearts, we may find ourselves thinking, man, I'm really glad that I don't have that situation. Now, physically speaking, the fact that this man is lame highlights that he is in deep need. He, he can't walk. He begs for money, so it's likely that he is unable to ascertain a job. And in all of this, He's excluded from the center of life within the Jewish life within the temple because he's viewed as dirty, right? So he, he can't go certain places that other people can go. And he feels this regularly. This isn't just like a one-time thing. This is over and over and over. Now, yes, he is able to get to this spot for begging each day, but one has to wonder the struggle it is for him to even get to that spot. Right? If people really view him as dirty, don't want to have anything to do with him at times, likely his begging includes even getting to that spot so that he can beg for alms as well. Right? Begging people to take him to that spot. And he has to know that people oftentimes give money to him because they want something from God. Right? They're obligated to do this. They're not giving him things necessarily because they feel compassion or care for him or they want to love him, but they want to get stuff from God. And so they've got to do what God has set out for them to do. If they want to have God's affection, attention, okay, then I've got to do these religious acts in order for him to see me. And so he's got to understand that this was an obligation for people not a joy. 
So the fact that he has been lame from birth has unending implications for this man's life. He is constantly in need. His neediness is incessant. It never stops, right? Every day is marked by his need to be helped. So, so we can say he cannot escape his neediness. It's just always there in front of him. As we read this, the intent is that we would look at this man and we would understand he is a picture of us. That man is a picture of me. This man describes you perfectly. And here's how. His physical malady depicts your spiritual reality. His physical malady depicts your spiritual and my spiritual reality. Like this man, we are in constant need of help, spiritually speaking. We are completely dependent on God. Completely. That's what the Bible teaches. Ephesians 2.1 says, You were dead in your sins. And this is true for all of us. As this man was born physically lame, we are born spiritually lame. Dead. And so if someone's dead, there's nothing they can do to help themselves. Right? They can't raise themselves up from the dead. They're dead. So there's nothing we can do to help ourselves spiritually. So maybe many of us have heard the saying, God helps those who help themselves. That is like the worst news ever. And the reason I would say that is the worst news ever is because we can't help ourselves spiritually. We're dead. So then we're hosed, right? Like, if if we've got to help ourselves, well, there's no hope for us then. We need to be raised from death to life. And that is true for every single one of us. A couple other quotations from the Bible here. Acts 17, 24 to 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Okay? So God didn't create us, and God doesn't save us because he needs anything from us. In fact, every single day, he's giving us all that we need. He gave us life. He gives us breath, our breath. Like every breath that we're taking in and out is a gift from God. And if that's true physically, how much more spiritually? Jesus, as he spoke about the spiritual reality for Christians, he said this, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. There's nothing we can do for ourselves spiritually. We are totally in need of Jesus' help. We cannot do anything for ourselves. We are spiritually lame. We cannot provide for ourselves spiritually in any way. And the physical suffering of this lame man points to a greater spiritual suffering for those who die in their spiritually lame state, right? Like, so he's experiencing some physical suffering, for sure. But if 
physical things point to greater spiritual realities. His physical suffering is pointing to a greater spiritual suffering in hell. And so we've got to have that on our radar as well. Now I want to highlight one aspect here. Because we might hear spiritually lame and we might think something. So we could read this and think, okay, to not be spiritually lame, then I need to be spiritually useful. I need to be spiritually productive. Or the idea that anti-lame means we should be spiritually busy in some way. And I would say, no, not at all. The fact that we are spiritually helpless means we learn to depend on Jesus to carry us, to provide for us, to lead us. A life of Christian faith then means we live in response to Jesus in everything, okay? We are moved then because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We're moved to make much of his name, to point people to him, to place faith in Jesus, not in ourselves, not in the things that we can do for ourselves. So at times, our Christian life may be busy, serving, loving, caring. That's part of it. But the intention is that this is a response to Jesus' sacrifice for us. It's not so that Jesus will sacrifice for us. He's already done that. Our loving, serving, caring for others is in response to what Jesus has already done for us. Loving, serving, and caring us for us. So, so that's the foundation of us doing spiritual busyness or activity. Okay? The fact that Jesus has done it first. Okay. So we're seeing a lame beggar. And it's intended to be a picture for us that we also are spiritually lame beggars. All right? The second observation I want to make here pertains to the location of the lame man. So verse 2 says he was laid daily at the gate of the temple. Okay, so this is really important to understand that he is not in the temple. He's outside the temple. When people came to the temple to offer sacrifices, the appropriate sacrifice had to be clean. It had to be perfect. Well, this expectation then began to bleed into other areas of life and ways of operating. And so this man who was unwell was shunned from the temple. He was not welcomed in there. He could come to the gate, right, but he could not go in. And what's, what's significant about this is inside the temple is where God would come and meet with his people. So what this means then, the fact that he's not in there, he can't be in God's presence. That's hopeless. He's not allowed in. He can't draw near. According to temple regulations, temple rules, he is excluded from God's presence. So those physical realities in him that symbolize spiritual death keep him from God's presence. So what he needed, what this man needed, we see this displayed physically, but what he really needed was someone like those men who carried him to the temple gate to do the same for him spiritually. That's what he needed. 
And this is what Jesus does. Jesus takes upon himself our sin. We can say Jesus became lame for us. And he he became lame to the point of death. So Jesus then is the one who carries this man into God's presence. He qualifies him. And this is true for us too. He carries us and qualifies us. And so there's nothing of us in this. We are totally, completely dependent on Jesus doing this for us. And what this story is communicating then is how God's presence is opened up to the outsider. God's presence is opened up to the excluded. God's presence is opened up to everyone. Anyone can receive healing. Anyone can be brought near to God. No one needs to be left outside. And when we understand what Jesus has done for us, his loving, sacrificial death, When we understand what his salvation is, we will likewise be spiritually leaping as this man was physically, praising God in the whole of our lives as well. And so what this means is it doesn't matter what our malady is physically. And what that means spiritually is it doesn't doesn't matter the sin that we have committed. This man had been lame for over 40 years. Okay? That's a long time. That's a lot of days accumulated where his lameness ruled. And on one day, through the name of Jesus being spoken, it overwhelmed all of that. It put an end to his lameness. And in this, we are intended to see the power of Jesus' name. His name being spoken over and into this man's life changed everything. The power of Jesus overwhelmed all of it. And that's the intention for us, too. That Jesus would overwhelm us spiritually. And then that that would have ramifications for our physical life as well. Now, In this story, we are hearing the story of one lame man. Just one. Undoubtedly, he is not the only sick person, unwell person in that vicinity. But we only hear his story. So I think it's a reasonable question for us. Why didn't they heal more? Why didn't Peter and John just like start going around, right? And healing any of the other people that were going, or that were sick or unwell in that vicinity. And the reason for this is because the physical healing was pointing to something greater. The physical healing was pointing to something greater. It was pointing to Jesus and the spiritual healing he offers. Jesus even promised that this is what was going to happen when he left the earth. He he told his followers that they would do greater works than he was doing. After he left, that his followers would do greater works. And this is a reference to spiritual healing that's accomplished through Jesus' name. Spiritual healing is greater than physical healing. 
So what God is concerned in doing through the sending of his son, Jesus, and what Jesus is concerned with the sending or through the sending of the Holy Spirit is the seeking and saving of people who are far from Jesus. God desires to reveal the goodness of the gospel to people so that they are healed from their greatest problem. Your greatest problem is sin. And I, I would say this to Michael. His greatest problem in the face of cancer is sin. This is true for all of us. Our greatest problem, far and away, is sin. Now, disease, fear, conflict, these realities create hardship, physical hardship, physical problems. And I'm not trying to minimize that. But they are not our greatest problem. Sin is far and away. And we see this demonstrated in the next chapter and a half of Acts. Because we find that this healing is going to create a major commotion. And what Jesus' followers do in the following chapter and a half is not setting out to heal a bunch of people. That's not what they're going to do. They set out to preach Jesus and to point to his name as the one why this individual was healed. So they're going to preach him clearly explicitly, and only Jesus. So the point wasn't primarily physical healing. God cares about our physical existence, but it is not ultimate. Our spiritual reality is what is ultimate. Okay. I want to end with three kind of quick hits here on just three observations, comments from this story. Okay? So first of all, there's an inordinate emphasis on visual aspects here. I, I don't have this on a slide, but if you would go back and you would look at this, here's some of the ways in which we see this emphasis on the visual. It talks about a beautiful gate. It says that this individual, the lame beggar, he said, or it, it, it was written, seen Peter and John. Okay, so he saw them. And then it says, Peter directed his gaze at this man. And then Peter and John say, look at us. And it says then that that man fixed his attention on them. And then it says that all the people saw this man in the temple area after he had been healed. And it says that they recognized him. Okay, so what we've got to understand here is that Peter and John are representatives of Jesus. Okay? They are followers of Jesus, so in a way that they are, they are conveying Jesus, his teachings, his truths to other people. And this is what Jesus' church is intended to be. A reflection. Conveyors. Conduits of Jesus and his teaching. And what becomes abundantly clear is Jesus' followers want people to see Jesus. Not to see them and the great works that they're doing, but they want people to see Jesus. They wanted this man to see Jesus. They're going to continually testify, even under hardship and persecution, that the, the reason this man was healed is because of Jesus' name. Not because they are great in and of themselves, but because Jesus is great. 
And this is Jesus' intention for us today as well. We're no different. Our lives are intended to shine the light of Jesus to those around us. Not just here, yes, here as well, but as we gather with others, as we go into other people's homes, as other people come into our homes, as we sit in class, as we interact with our friends on the playground, as we coach young athletes, in all of these circumstances, the intention is that people would get glimpses of Jesus through our lives, that they would see him. Okay, secondly then, the lame man's healing is spoken about with resurrection language. Okay, Peter and John tell him to rise up. There's another uh, phrase that's used, which is, he was raised up. Okay, this man was raised up. This, again, was a physical reality. Okay, this man being healed and being raised up, there was a physical reality. He had been confined to the ground, but him being raised up onto his feet is a physical reality. But that physical reality has much greater spiritual implications. It's pointing to the real resurrection. Jesus rising from the dead. But then also, Jesus raising from the dead is intended to point to us as well. This is what he promises to do. And the way he raises us spiritually here and now from death to life is what he's going to do eventually physically as well. When we die, he will raise us from death to life. And so even the language that's used here in this story suggests the physical healing was pointing to something greater. Yes, he was physically raised up, but we know that that's always pointing to Jesus' ultimate resurrection. Lastly, the lame man was fixated on physical realities. So what was he doing? Right? He was sitting there begging for alms. He was wanting money from people. He wanted some form of treasure. Right? So, no doubt, money is needed in our realities. In our physical existence, money is needed. And I acknowledge this and I'm aware of this, but this can push us in regards to our personal priority on money. And we live in the West. Okay? The most affluent nation this world has ever seen. Okay? We've got to be really careful with this. Do we consider our spiritual needs as being far more important than money? Do we spend our time and effort on cultivating spiritual health as compared to our financial health? And I know that this is going to look different for all of us, but it's really easy for us to justify our own behavior if we're just looking at the person next to us instead of what Jesus is calling us to. Okay, we don't look at the person next to us and say, oh, I'm pretty sure I give more than that person, or at least I'm not buying that thing. That, that, that's not the point. Like, we've got to wrestle this out with Jesus, right? And my hope, and I think Jesus' intention in the church is that we would wrestle this out with one another as well, which can get really uncomfortable talking about money 
with others. But I want to encourage you. That, that's the type of relationship, the type of friendship that we should have with one another. Okay, gospel application. All right, it's not about what we do, right? We want to leave here with good news. We want to leave here with good news. The only thing that matters is Jesus, who he is and what he's done. So first of all, Jesus sees you. So Peter and John, as Jesus' representatives, they look on this man with kindness. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does. In your pain, in your loneliness, in your hopelessness, in your need, even in your sin, Jesus looks upon you and he sees you. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is such a beautiful verse. While you are sinning, God shows his love to you. While the Roman guards were sinning, killing Jesus, he's dying for them, offering forgiveness to them. In the midst of your sin, God shows his love to you beckoning you back to him, pointing you to the cross. Look at my sacrificial love for you. So Jesus sees you. Secondly, Jesus promises to raise his followers up. We likely want to apply this foremost to our physical circumstances. But the key to being physically raised from the dead is our spiritual reality. And so I want to call us to set our hopes on the things the Bible calls us to set our hopes on. And what does the Bible call us to set our hope on? 1 Peter 1.13 Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not set your hope mostly or when it's convenient, but set your hope fully, completely. Set your hope on nothing else, only on Jesus' grace. That's where we need to set our hope, day after day after day. And if you think, I did that yesterday, and maybe you feel like that didn't work out so well, go back to the well, because it's a well that never runs dry. And I think that there's maybe this tendency in us, like, ah, i got to keep doing this day after day. Or, or maybe we just think about, like, much of what I've been talking about this morning, like, just feeling maybe the drag of spiritual life, right? It's, maybe it doesn't feel exciting at times. Maybe we feel spiritually lost or down or spiritually alone. There's this ongoing invitation. Maybe it's us just making decisions. We're, we're putting Jesus on the back burner as well, right? And so there's this ongoing invitation to find life in Jesus. Ephesians 5.14 says this, Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, 
and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Where you find yourselves spiritually sleeping, I want to invite you into life in Jesus. And maybe Jesus doesn't look exciting to you, but you know what? You don't need exciting. You need sturdy. You need sturdy. And that's what Jesus is. So I want to invite you again, as I do every week, to believe the gospel. To entrust your life, not just intellectually ascend to Jesus, but to give yourself over to Jesus and say, my life is yours. Do as you wish.